Amen. So we're going to be in Acts 13. We're moving our way quickly through the book of Acts. <laughs> All right. But before we get there, I just want to kind of, because last time we ended up towards the end of chapter 12, so I want to just kind of just do a quick where we've been and how we got to where we're at. But before I do that, I want to, um, I want to just plant a thought in your head. Uh, the other night, it, was, it would have been Saturday, Friday. I think it was Friday. I'm flipping through the channels, and uh, Kurt Cameron was on TBN. And he was doing this thing called Think, Pray, Vote. And he had a bunch of, uh, he had Franklin Graham on, he had um, Reverend Black, who is the, the chaplain for the U.S. Senate. If you guys watched the impeachment hearings, he was the guy with the bow tie that opened up the, you know, the events in prayer. And it was really um, an encouraging, it was encouraging, it was, it really was because of that the focus was, was on the Word of God and was on the Lord. And uh, just encouraging uh, the church to think, pray, and then vote. You know, and how you vote, that's between you and the Lord, but to get out and vote is important. It's important. So um, enough of that. If you get a chance, you can go online and watch some of it. There were some really, um, there really were some good um, interactions between Kirk Cameron and some of the guests. Really um, challenging stuff, so... Um, something to pray about. Okay? All right. So God is moving people around. You know, I'm going to go back a little bit to like Acts 11. Okay, we know what happened in Acts 10, right? Cornelius and the crew get saved. The Italian band, right? The first, you know, Gentiles that made it into the church were Italian. It's interesting. You guys laughed more when I said it the first time, though, than now and during the review. But, um, you know, so then in chapter 11, you know, Peter's kind of called on the carpet because this stuff isn't supposed to be happening. You know, and you guys know the relationship between the Jews and the Gentiles. So they want to, um, you know, they want to know, like, what's going on? What happened over at Cornelius's house? So he explains to them what had happened. And, um, you know, it says that um, at the end of verse 18 of chapter 11, it said, Then God has also granted the Gentiles repentance to life. That was there. They glorified God and ended um, with that statement. And then we see that later on in um, Acts 11, um, the word gets, uh, gets all the way to Antioch. And uh, the church gets wind of it in Jerusalem, and they send Barnabas to Antioch to scope things out, and uh, he goes there, and there's uh, really a move of the, of, of the Spirit. People are getting saved, and if you know where Antioch is over here, just, you know, it's on the coast, and Paul at this time is in Tarsus, which isn't too far from Antioch. Well, Barnabas, I really believe the Lord, obviously, and puts it on Barnabas's heart to go get Saul. He's still Saul at this time. Barnabas goes to Tarsus, gets Saul, and brings him back to Antioch. And they start ministering together at Antioch. And you know, it's interesting. What I really enjoy about the book of Acts is that you can see um, 
you almost get like a, a big aerial view of what's going on because, you know, you can read back a couple chapters, you can look to where you're at, and then you can go ahead a little bit, and you see God's hand throughout everything, putting people in the right place, saving people at the right time. And I'm going to say this probably a few times tonight, that, you know, it's no different for us today. You know, God is still up there. He's still coordinating things. He still has these divine appointments for us. He still has a plan for our life. He still has things that he has specifically called us to do. And that's pretty, it's pretty awesome, isn't it, to think that God has chosen you personally. He's given you some responsibility for the kingdom. And it's really important that we follow through on that. So, in verse, well, Saul, and we got Saul and Barnabas together now at the end of chapter 12. Chapter 12 starts out with Herod having James um, executed. And he got such a positive response from the Jewish community that he has Peter arrested. Right? So, he, you know, he's, you know, it's... Politics, no matter what, what, what point in history you look at, is always weird. You know, so Peter is in jail, and um, you guys are probably familiar with the story. You know, the angel comes, gets Peter out of jail. They end up going to, he ends up at John Mark's mother's house, Mary's house. And, you know, he's knocking on the door. You know, and guys remember we talked about it, you know, like... Um, I think it's Rhoda goes to the door and she's kind of shocked. It's Paul and runs back and they're, you know, they're and they're still praying for Paul in prison. I mean, Peter in prison and now he's at the front door and they're still having a hard time believing that. Um, you know, so if you feel weak in faith, sometimes don't don't feel bad. You're not alone, right? How do you think they felt after that? But anyhow, after that, once they let him in, Peter kind of slides out of, off the scene for at least till Acts 15. And now Barnabas and Saul are going to be uh, more prominent. So chapter 12 closes out with Herod, um, you know, being um, really eaten by worms because of his pride. And at the end of, let me read the last two verses of chapter 12. It says, but the word of God grew and multiplied. This is, ju- this is just after it talks about Herod's death. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem to Antioch, all right, when they had fulfilled their ministry. And they also took with them John, whose surname is Mark. So at the end of chapter 11, Paul and Barnabas, or Saul and Barnabas, are uh, entrusted with some, an offering to take to Jerusalem. So they're, they're going to come back on the scene now in Acts 13. But I wanted to, before we move, I wanted to, uh, to just bring something up about, that in verse 24, it tells us that the word of God grew and multiplied. In the previous verse, it tells us that Herod was eaten by worms and died. So think about that for a minute. You know, Herod, and uh, you know, I, this is just me thinking, he's like the type of the world, right? And he was trying, he was fighting, he was doing his best fighting against God. Okay, the church is fighting for God. So the end result is Herod dies, and the word of God grew and multiplied. 
You know, God is so faithful. You know, people try and try and try to fight against God, but it's to no avail, right? I mean, who can fight against God? Who could, who could win? Who could even in their right mind think they could fight God? Well, Herod thought so. And he, you know, he's being eaten by worms and the church is growing. I mean, and it's just, it's amazing. God is so faithful. Romans 8.37 says, Yet in all things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. We're more than conquerors through Christ. You know, that last song that Gina sang about the blood of Christ. I mean, it's all about Jesus Christ. You know, it's all about Jesus. It's not, um, it's really not a complicated thing. And, you know, it's interesting. Sometimes we wonder, you know, if people aren't going to, you know, accept what we're saying or, you know, they're going to make fun of us or, you know, they're going to just ignore us. You know, all of that's fine. You know, all of it's fine. You know, our responsibility is just to share the gospel. Um, you know, how they deal with it and what happens after that is between them and the Lord. But, you know, it's exciting to know that we have that message. It's the blood of Jesus. It's not complicated. You know, and we'll leave it there because that's, um, you know, you can really go off on that. You know, you, we could spend the whole rest of the night talking about the blood of Christ. It's awesome. First John 5, verses 4 and 5 say, um, For whatever um, is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world, but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? We have victory. We've overcome the world. We overcome, we've overcome the Herods, or whoever, whoever's name you want to stick in there now. But, you know, because of Christ, we're overcomers. We're overcomers. And you know what? In the way that the environment you know, that we live in today, the, you know, just the, the climate that we live in today, it's good to know that. It's good to know that. Because God is still in control. And as, and as, as grim as things might look, he's still in control. You know, Peter, he's sitting in prison knowing that James had just been executed and he was next, but yet the angel had hit him a couple times to wake him up. Peter knew God was in control. Peter knew that what was the worst that they could do, send them the glory? You know, he had a comfort, he had a peace. So the stage is set now. Everybody is in place for what's gonna, what God is going to do next in Acts chapter 13. And it's interesting when you, I just, you guys got to do this. When you're reading through the book of Acts, just take some time and just, God doesn't meet a, miss a beat. I mean, he is just, everything is in place. Everything is in place. And you know what, guys? Tomorrow, God already has tomorrow. Everything is in place for us for tomorrow. Everything is. When we get up in the morning, you know, however you um, do your morning, if it's, you know, it's your devotions first, or do you eat first, or do you get your cup of coffee first, whatever, um, you know what, God is going to be there. He's going to be there, and he's going to be with us the whole day. He's, it's already planned. He's got the day planned. We just got to check in and see what it's all about. I mentioned this last time, but the key to the early church's growth and the spreading of the gospel and the, the growing and the growth of the church was a love for the word of God, a desire for the word of God, and an intent to obey the word of God. 
a love for the word of God, a desire for the word of God, and an intent uh, to obey the word of God. So reading the book of Acts, sometimes you can get a little um, loose track of time, if you will. You know, because you could read two or three pages. You've already went through two cities, right? It's been like a week or two. I mean, you can lose track of time. But Acts 13, from the day of Pentecost to Acts 13, has been roughly about 16 years has passed from the day of Pentecost to where we are tonight in Acts 13. So it's interesting. 16 years has passed since Pentecost. The church is still growing and continuing to live out the Great Commission. And it's still happening today, right? We're still, um, you know, just going out and sharing the gospel, that Great Commission. In chapter 13, the first missionary journey of Paul starts. So it's around A.D. 46, and it goes through um, A.D. 48. And a lot of good things happen. You know, we're going to see now the church in Antioch is going to really be a hub for uh, Paul and Barnabas and um, his other two missionary journeys. Um, That's going to be home base. It certainly doesn't take or diminish anything from Jerusalem and where the church is there. This is um, just in a really strategic place um, for outreach. So let's pick up. And let's, um, let's read a couple verses in Acts 13. Well, let's, let's read 1 through 5. So it says, Now in the church that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, and Manan, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. And as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then, having fasted and prayed they laid, and laid hands on them, they sent them away, preaching in Cyprus. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Cilicia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. And when they arrived at Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. They also had John as their assistant. So we see that, um, you know, even in the first century church, there is a diversity of backgrounds, even in the leadership of the church. And you can see it by the names mentioned uh, right in that first verse. Now we know who Barnabas is, right? The son of consolation. Um, He first comes on the scene in Acts chapter 4. Remember, he sells his property and gives it to the disciples to um, take care of the needs of the church. Um, he's, uh, you know, he's uh, the son of encouragement, man. He's an interesting, he's an interesting guy. If you get some time, do, um, do a little study on Barnabas. Um, really a, an awesome brother. Then there's Simeon, um, who was from present-day Nigeria, now, some commentators believe that he's Simon the Cyrene who carried uh, the cross for Jesus, but there's really not a lot of evidence for that. So he's still, you know, not sure really um, if that's him or who he really is, other than we know that he's from Nigeria. Lucius uh, was from Cyrene in North Africa, 
And um, who knows, he could be maybe a, a convert of Simeon. Hard to say, right? They're from the same area. And then there's uh, Manon, who, uh, check this out, he was the foster brother of Herod Antipas. Hmm. Nice family ties, right? And uh, we know that, um, that that Herod was the one who had John beheaded. But, you know, you talk about the grace and sovereignty of God. You know, this, this guy grew up in that environment, but yet here he is, um, you know, s- seated around the, the table with these other teachers and prophets and with Saul, um, you know, right at, uh, you know, as a key person in, in some of the leadership of the church. Now, we know Saul, who later on, I think, verse 9, I think, he, he's going to start, go from Saul to Paul. And I wanted to just mention something about his name. Um, the word Saul means requested one. Okay, and even as King Saul was requested by the people, you know, that the whole thought of being requested. But what does Paul mean? Paul means a little. Okay, you see something happened in Paul's life when he was converted to Christ. He no longer wanted to be, you know, identify himself as Saul, the requested one, uh, the man in demand. Um, you know, he didn't want that anymore. He wanted to be, he said, hey, you know, forget about that. Just call me little. Just call me little. You know, he didn't want to be the requested one. And you can see, um, you know, that you could, I mean, there's a little bit of pride in that, right? The requested one, um, you know, the man in demand. And that's what Saul, King Saul, thought of himself after a while. And, you know, pride and arrogance and just depending on himself really kind of brought his life uh, and his relationship with the Lord just crashing down. So in the early part of Paul's ministry, I like the progression. He says, I'm the least of the apostles, all right, 1 Corinthians 5, 15, 9. In the middle of his ministry, he said, I'm the least, I'm less than the least of all the saints, in Ephesians 3, 8. And then at the end of his life, he said, I am the chief of sinners, First Timothy, right? So you can see the closer he got to the Lord, the more he diminished, right? Just thought less and was more aware of um, his sinfulness the longer he served the Lord. Um, and I find it interesting that, um, you know, that that happened in Paul's life. But, you know, I mean, that's the way it is. You know, when I, the, I've been saved for a while, I've been saved for a while, but you know what? I'm more aware now of my faults, my sins, uh, you know, the shortcomings I have than I, than I was when I first got saved. I mean, when I first got saved, it was great because, you know, I, I mean, it was, a, I mean, it, I can't even, I don't even know if I could put words to it. To when, and you guys uh, probably know what I'm, I'm saying when you realize that, you know, that you were... Um, acceptable in in the sight of God, that he loved you, that, um, you know, he forgave you of everything that you ever did. And, you know, maybe I had a few more things to be forgiven of, but you know what, man, it was just like totally set me free. And, but the longer I've been saved, the more, um, the more, I guess it's the more sensitive I am to the things of God and what God is wanting to do in my life. And I hope that's true of you, not, you know, not that you feel more conviction, but that, you know, that you sense that closeness of God and you're, you're allowing the Lord to search your heart. 
You know, you're, you're giving God um, more permission, if you will, more access into who you really are. And that's important. That's important because that's where life change starts to happen. You know, when we totally start yielding ourselves over to the Lord and just say, look, Lord, I mean, what does it say? And I copied the, verse, the verses down. Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24. It says, search me, O God, and know my heart. You know, try me and know my anxieties and see if there is any wicked way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. You know, so important, guys, that we... Give, you know, give God that access into your life, into your heart. And you know what? Once you do that, once he starts tweaking, yield to that. Yield to that. So in, as we move on in verses uh, 2 through 5, um, you know, it's interesting because we see that there's, um, at this, this prayer meeting, if you will, um, there's prophets and teachers um, it's real evident and, uh, that the Holy Spirit is giving the directions here. The Holy Spirit is the one that's um, actually calling them to go out and is going to enable them to go out. So he gives the directives to um, these prophets and teachers. And as they're worshiping, as they're fasting, um, the Holy Spirit just inserts himself into the prayer meeting and gives them some clear direction. And it's important, and I'll mention it a couple more times, that it's the Holy Spirit who empowers us to do the work of the Lord. It's the Holy Spirit that guides us. I'm going to read a few verses out of John 14 and John 16 that you guys are probably real familiar with about the Holy Spirit. But in John 14, 25, and 26, it says, These things I have spoken to you while being present with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. And then in John 16, verses 12 and 13, it says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. You know, Jesus, I mean, obviously couldn't lay it all on him at once, right? However, when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, after Pentecost, right at Pentecost. He will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you, thing, tell you things to come. So these guys are, you know, they're having a prayer meeting. The Holy Spirit shows up, and, they tell, and he tells them, separate from me, Saul and Barnabas. I mean, amazing. Could you imagine just, you know, like here we are praying, just sharing the word, and all of a sudden you just hear a voice from heaven, you know, send out Pastor Kevin, you know. To... <laughs> no? All right, wait. I don't know. Maybe I didn't hear that right. <laughs> but anyway, I mean, it's just, you know, when you think about it, and I hope you guys do that, you know, you take some time and just kind of lean back in your chair and think, could you imagine just hearing the Holy Spirit say, you know, I'm sending you out. Send these guys out. You know, and it's, so they lay hands on them. You know, they're not, hey, they're not, you know, they heard, they heard the Holy Spirit speak, and they're doing it. They're doing it. And we're going to see it throughout um, the rest of this chapter. And obviously, we've been seeing it through the book of Acts. You know, when God speaks and God gives them direction, they're on it. 
You know, it isn't like, hey, Lord, can we think about that? Remember Ananias? When, he, when the Lord told him, go pray with Saul? And Ananias said, well, Lord, you know, this guy's killing Christians. But then he told him, you know, he just said, hey, look, I need him. I'm going to use him. He's going to do some really awesome things for the kingdom of God. So that's all he needed to hear. He went. But it's amazing to see that. In verse 4, it says, so being sent out by the Holy Spirit, um, they went to Cilicia, which is down the coast, and then they got on a boat, a ship, and they sailed over to Cyprus. So... Um, verse 4, um, it's an important truth for you to, who are trying to discern God's will for your life. And look, you know, the, the text says that they, being sent out by the Holy Spirit, what, what did they do? They went. Okay? So the Holy Spirit sent them out, but they had to depart. They had to do something. Okay, And a lot of times we pray for God's will in our life and, you know, God, should I do this or should I do that? And, you know, sometimes we just kind of get, like, stuck. But you know what? When the Holy Spirit sends you out, you have to go. I mean, and, you know, we know Abraham, God told him to go. He just went. He didn't even tell him where to go. He just went. You know, and he's telling these guys to go, and they're going. And they're going. If, you know, the Holy Spirit sent them out, so they departed. The Holy Spirit gave the direction, but it was up to them to begin the journey, to start going out, okay? Um, There comes a point when the Lord, having made his will for you clear, he expects us to step out in faith, put some feet to our prayers, and put some feet uh, to what the Lord is commanding us or telling us to do. And, you know, that happened to me when um, I was at shepherd school, um, sitting out in the woods at, down in Pennsylvania. And, um, you know, I had been working for the county for about 28 and a half years. And the Lord said, you know, you're going to be going into full-time ministry, so don't get too comfortable at work. And it was kind of weird because, you know, that's a lot of years to be at one place. But you know what? I was, you know, I was open to that, and, um, you know, just whenever I felt, whatever God was starting to work in my heart, I would just go in that direction, and um, it all worked out. I mean, here I am, (laughs) still here. Now, but you know what I'm saying? You know, unless you, you you know, God is going to open doors for us. God is going to reveal his will to us, but there's a part that we play in it, so it's important for us to realize that. And these guys, they just got right on it. They just got right on it. So why go to Cyprus? You know, I was thinking about that. But, you know, that's, that was Barnabas. That's where Barnabas, that was his home. That's where he was born. That's where he lived, in Cyprus. And, um, you know, God had called them to go, and, uh, and they just simply began to move out in a supernaturally natural way. And I could picture Barnabas saying, hey, well, let's go to Cyprus. You know, God didn't prevent them from going to Cyprus. There was no, obviously, we don't read of any, any kind of indication that God didn't want them to go there. And we know that he would have said something because, we, well, we didn't get there yet. But um, when Paul is trying to um, work his way to Ephesus and he can't go south to Asia and he wants to go north to uh, Brittany and he can't do that, 
So the only direction he's got is to go straight, right? But God had told, you know, God had made it clear to him not to go in either one of those two directions. So I'm thinking that, um, you know, these guys prayed and Barnabas said, hey, you know what? I want to go to my hometown. I want to go to Cyprus. So they went to Cyprus. And it's interesting because um, there is definitely a need in Cyprus for the word of God. Not that it's not needed every other place in the world. But, you know, um, the worship of Venus, um, also known as Aphrodite, was huge in Cyprus. Okay? So, and, and the thing is, that, and this is, I, I found this hard to believe, but it's true. Every woman on, on Cyprus was required to serve as a temple prostitute at least once in her life. Could you imagine living in an environment where, I mean, if you had daughters that you had to send them out on that, you know, I mean, it would be crazy, right? You, you either have to move or try to change the, the craziness of the society that you live in. But, you know, so there's a, the debauchery, just the, you know, just the pervertedness there on that island. And, you know, here now the Lord is sending Paul or Saul and Barnabas. You know, so there's definitely a need. So as they leave um, Antioch, um, just, a, just a little side note, Barnabas is the leader of the team when they leave Antioch. By the time they arrive back at Antioch, Saul or Paul will have already be taken, you know, he'll, he's going to take the helm from Barnabas. So verse 5, it says that when they arrived at Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. They also had John as their assistant. So Salamis was a large city in the eastern half of Cyprus. And apparently there were a number, a large number of Jews living there because it says um, that they went to the synagogue. So a lot of, you know, more than one. And um, there's, uh, you had to have at least 10 families to constitute a synagogue. So, you know, it, it seems as though the, the, the Jewish uh, population would, would be pretty large there. And, um, you know, going into the synagogue first, uh, Barnabas and Saul were fulfilling the divine injunction that the gospel should go to the Jew first and then to the Gentile. And then, uh, you know, John Mark, I think the last, I think we talked about him the last time I spoke, but um, right now he's, uh, he's hanging out with uh, Saul and Barnabas, and he's like their assistant. It doesn't tell us much of what he's doing at this point, um, but if you've uh, been around the church long enough, you know that when somebody's volunteering to get into ministry that they're doing all kinds of things, so I'm sure that uh, John Mark was a busy guy um, hanging out with Saul and Barnabas. So, um, verses 6 through 8, it says, Now when they had gone through um, the island, they're going west now to Papos, they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew whose name was Bar-Jesus, who was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, an intelligent man. And this man called for Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Almaeus, the sorcerer, for so his name is translated, withstood them, seeking to turn the proconsul uh, away from the faith. So there doesn't, there's not much information on what happened in Salamis, you know, as far as um, no information about how the ministry went there. 
Uh, we know that um, Papos is about 100 miles southwest. It's the capital city, and it's the, Roman, um, it's the seat of the Roman government on the island. So that's important. Okay, it's the center, once again, uh, another center for the worship of Aphrodite. So it was a hotbed for all kinds of immorality. And, um, you know, here comes Saul and Barnabas. And uh, what's going to happen next with uh, Sergius is really um, a significant event in this um, part of the book of Acts. Because we're going to see that um, this proconsul is going to be um, really the first Roman uh, and Gentile um, politician, if you will, um, to get saved on the island. So let's look at a certain, a certain sorcerer. And this is an, this is an interesting um, part of the text. And, you know, we'll do this and then um, probably take us to the end of the night. But the sorcerer is um, the better translation for a sorcerer in this uh, particular situation is a magician. Um, originally, uh, this, carried, this title carried um, no evil connotation, but was used to describe all kinds of practitioners and dabblers. But over time, um, you know, it you know, really just started to take on, um, you know, just a, um, a whole different uh, meaning. So this sorcerer, um, his name is Bar-Jesus. And in the Aramaic, Bar-Jesus means son of Jesus. And that's kind of weird, right? The guy's not living up to his name, right? Uh, but Paul told him in verse 10, and we'll see that, that instead of being the son of Jesus... He was a child of the devil, that he was a child of the devil. So Bar-Jesus was an enemy, and, you know, so is the devil when you think about it. He, was, he is the enemy of everything that is right, literally righteousness. And this sorcerer was full of deceit and trickery. And in the Greek, that trickery, it's unscrupulous mischief, um, work that easily deceives and he's always perverting the right way of the Lord. And we're going to look at that a little bit in a couple minutes. You know, just that description. So Luke presents Sergius Paulus as the first Gentile ruler to believe the gospel. So a little bit of history. Um, you know, he's a Roman-appointed governor of the island. You know, so think how cool that is. That I mean, the first person to get saved when you show up is the governor. That's got to help, Right. We were on a missions trip in Jamaica, and there was a, um, a friend of ours, his name was, oh, that's right, he might even be listening, you never know. And this was about like 20-some years ago, though. His name was Lloyd, and I'll tell you what, he would share the gospel with a mailbox. He would. He would, uh, you know, so we, um, we had a problem with the hotel that we originally stayed in. So we ended up in this really nice hotel, uh, you know, in Jamaica. So we're, you know, just kind of hanging out by the pool. So Lloyd is in the front of the hotel with tracks, right? So this, this caravan of cars come, right? Police, you know, this big, you know, like a motorcade, right? And they all pull up in the front of the hotel, and there's Lloyd's in the front of the hotel, so it's the governor of the island, and they're having this big party on the top floor of the hotel. So Lloyd's 
you know, he's like, wow, this is pretty cool. So he hands the, the governor's wife a track. She says, I'm already saved, but come with us. I want you to talk to my husband. So he gets on the elevator with the governor and his wife and the security people. He goes up to the, where the party is. They bring him in the other room, and he has an opportunity to share the gospel with the governor of the island. And I was thinking about that when I was reading this. I was thinking, man, you know, it's like Lloyd. But, you know, you never know. You know, he didn't wake up that morning thinking that he was going to share the gospel with the governor of the island. And God is amazing, you know. And it's just his faithfulness. I mean, really, not, he, he challenged us, believe me, all the time. This guy was, I mean, he was, you know, just, you know, it was just a part of who he was. I mean, I'm telling you, he could, he could talk to anybody about the gospel. And I know we could, too. But it was just, it's just something, you know, people that are just, I mean, it, it just, I don't know, it's, I can't even put it into words. Some t- I've, I've known people that, you know, that they would, they would rather, but I mean, it should be all of us, right? It should be all of us. But I think there's people that are a little more enthused about stuff than we are, but Lloyd was just so challenging, you know, and I used to pray, Lord, I, I want to be that open. I want to be that. You know, so you guys help me out a little bit. You know what I'm saying, right? Because some of us are a little bit more introverted than others, and sometimes it's a little harder to, you know, walk up to somebody cold and share the gospel with them. Right? But that's all a part of our growth. But Lloyd, anyway, was just exciting. So here, the governor, the, you know, the Roman-appointed governor of the island gets saved. Gets saved. And I, the way it happens is really awesome. Because it says, and let me read the verse. Where did it go? It says in verse 7, it says, so let's read from, let me read verses 6 through 8 again. Now, when they had gone through the island to Papos, they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew whose name was Bar-Jesus, who was with the proconsul, Sergius Paulus, an intelligent man, And this man called for Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. So he calls for Barnabas and Saul because he wants to hear the word of God. Apparently, um, you know, the news has already traveled to where they're going that, you know, there's some guys on the island that are sharing the gospel. They're sharing uh, the word of God. They're talking about Jesus. But it says in verse 8, Almaeus, the sorcerer, withstood them seeking to turn the proconsul away. So it's interesting to see how this works out. Almaeus starts speaking against Barnabas and Saul to Sergius Apollos, right? Because he doesn't want he doesn't want he doesn't want Sergius to get saved. He doesn't want him to hear the gospel. And think what happens if he does. You know, what's he going to do, right? Where's he going to go? So what he's trying to do is his goal is to get between the messenger and the message, right? We just read it. It said that that he did, um, so he withstood them, right? And it said that um, 
seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. So Almaeus is trying to put himself in between the messenger and the message. He's trying to, to put up a roadblock between Saul and Barnabas in the message that they're sharing with Sergius. So important for us to understand that. You know what, guys? We can't let that happen in our lives. We can't let Satan hinder the work that God's doing in our life. We can't let anything get in between the message and the messenger. You know, obviously the Holy Spirit's the messenger of the word of God, and we can't allow anything to get in between that. And that's what the enemy tries to do, right? The enemy tries to, to stop that flow. The enemy tries to get in, in between that relationship, right, with us and the Lord. You guys, does that make sense? You know, here are these guys, are, they're sharing the word, and he's trying to get in between them. You know, you know he's getting in, you know, this isn't going to happen. You know, he's, he's not going to let Paul, he's not going to let Saul and Barnabas share the gospel with this guy, or so he thinks. And, you know, he's a sorcerer. You know, I mean, he's just a tool of, of the enemy, of the devil. And, and, you know, we know that he, you know, the devil doesn't want anybody saved. So he sends, you know, he's using um, Elmaeus to, to prevent this from happening. But you know what? <laughs> it's interesting. And we have to have the same mindset that, that Paul had here. And this is when, um, you know, he's first called Paul in verse 9 here. But, you know, he's not going to let that happen. He's not going to let that happen. Here's Paul. This is, <laughs> Paul gives us an example of how to deal with, you know, with darkness, if you will. And he takes, you know, he takes the sorcerer on head on, right? You know, he doesn't pull any punches. He just lays it out there for him. So in verses 9 through 12, it says, Then Saul, who was also called Paul, here we go again, filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit called them. The Holy Spirit's been leading them. And now Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, right, looked intently at them and said, O full of all deceit and all fraud, deceit and all fraud, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, will you not cease perverting the straight way of the Lord? And, you know, I'll answer that question for the sorcerer. No, they're not going to stop. They're, you know what? This morning was a, an evidence of that right until the end of Revelation. The devil is not going to stop trying to get between the message and the messenger. Right? You know, he's not going to stop. You know, and Paul is, I mean, he's right in this guy's face. And you know what? That's how, you know, he's speaking in the authority, you know, he's speaking on the authority of the word of God. This is, you know, he's a spirit-filled believer. He's filled with the Holy Spirit, speaking in that authority that God has given him. You know, and we're no different. We're no different. We're no different. So, and um, he says in verse 11, And now indeed the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you shall be blind, not seeing the sun for a time. And immediately, and immediately, oh, thank you, Lord. You know, God is so faithful. Immediately a dark mist fell on him, 
and he went around seeking someone to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had been done, being astonished at the teaching of the Lord. So we're seeing here that Paul, now Saul now called Paul, steps up and assumes the leadership role. Okay, and I believe that, um, you know, I'm just Paul's background, I think he's a little bit more aggressive than Barnabas. And from this point on, you know, I, you know he, takes, um, he takes the lead with the group. But I think that part of the reason, I mean, there's probably multiple reasons why um, Luke lets us know that, that Paul was filled with the Holy Spirit when he confronts Almaeus is because Paul, I mean, Luke wants us to know that, you know, Paul wasn't acting in the flesh. He wasn't angry. He wasn't mad. I mean, he was, um, you know, he was filled with the Holy Spirit. It was righteous indignation. I mean, he was looking at the enemy and speaking the word of God, you know, just taking authority, all right, in the name of Christ. And it's so important for us to understand that. You know, he confronts Almaeus in the power of the Holy Spirit. And in Zechariah 4, 6, it says, Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. So important for us to realize that. You know, the things that we do, you know, God calls us, God equips us to the work that he's called us to. It's the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And that's who we depend on. That's who we depend on. So, you know, Paul is not pulling any punches. He's exposing evil and its goal, which the goal of evil um, is to pervert the way to Jesus, right? That's all Satan's trying to do is to keep you from God, keep you from Jesus, keep you from a relationship with the Lord. And then, you know, when you do have one, he's always trying to get in the middle of it, always trying to get in the middle of it. You know what? And we're all filled by the, with the Holy Spirit. And we, we need to recognize that. And we need to just, we need to take authority of, you know, what's happening in our lives. The things, and, you know, and be careful what you let in, you know, what you let in up here, right? Um, you know, you got to keep your mind clear. But, you know, it, it's his goal to, um, to pervert the gospel, to pervert the gospel. Um, and last, and we're going to close with this, because that, you know, Paul is as is, is forthright as he is dealing with Almaeus. I still believe that in Paul's heart that he, he, was, he, would, he was wanting restoration. And this really challenged me thinking about this. Because I, I don't believe um, that Paul considered Almaeus a lost cause or put a line through his name. Because you know what? Think about what happened to Paul before he got converted, right? Like Almaeus, he was blind, right? Acts 9.9. But it wasn't until Paul was blinded physically that he could see spiritually, right? And I suggest that although Paul was not pulling any punches with Almaeus, his prayer wasn't, get him, Lord, it was, save him. And just want to leave you with that thought. You know what, guys? You know, we need to pray that God would give us that same heart and that same mindset for the lost. You know, God hasn't called us to, and I just, God hasn't called us to hate people or to dislike people with a disdain. 
You know, God has called us to pray for our enemies, right? Pray for those who, you know, persecute us. So it's so important to realize that, to understand that, and especially the environment that we live in today. It's easy to be frustrated with people. But I, I, just, I just encourage you guys, have, you know, have the heart that Paul had, you know, have the, part, the heart that Paul had. It's not get them, Lord. That's not our prayer. Our prayer is save them, Lord. Give us an opportunity to, to share with them. And in Galatians 6.1, it says, Brethren, if any man or anyone is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, um, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself lest you also be tempted. So here's... Three things to keep in mind that'll keep your mind and your heart right. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Good thing, right, to think about when you're dealing with people. Love your neighbor as yourself, right? Another thing to keep your, you know, keep the focus. And the last thing is to speak the truth in love. Speak the truth in love. If you, if you deal with people, just starting with those three points, uh, I think that you'll you'll be pleased with how things go. They might not agree with you, and they might blow you off, but you know what? Your heart is where it needs to be, right? Because we can't get caught up in the anger and the frustration, and you're this, and then the next thing you know, they're pointing their finger back at you. No. You know what? Do unto others as you would have them do unto you, right? Love your neighbor as yourself. Treat them the way you would want to be treated, right? And speak the truth in love. Speak the truth in love. Give them Jesus. Let's pray. And Lord, thank you so much for your word. And, and Lord, thank you for the um, examples, Lord, just the life examples that we see of the men and women that have gone uh, before us. And Lord, um, you know, I'm, I'm all just so challenged by the, um, the lives of the folks that I read about the saints that I read about in the book of Acts. And, you know, I pray, God, that we would, um, Lord, understand um, just how, um, how much we're alike with them. We might uh, dress differently, and we don't walk everywhere we go. We have cars, and, you know, the technology's different. But, you know, they're just saints. They're born-again believers who love you just like we do. And God, uh, you know, I pray for myself and for all of us that, Lord, you know, we just want to be used by you in whatever capacity that, that you want us to be um, ministering for you. So I pray, God, that you would speak to each one of our hearts tonight. Lord, that um, we would take some time tonight, or even now if anybody, um, you know, wants prayer, that, you know, Lord, we would allow you to, just take some inventory in our lives that you would, um, Lord, speak to our hearts. And Lord, um, whatever it is, whatever it is that, that needs to go, that needs to be adjusted, uh, Lord, if uh, you, know, you have something uh, in store for us, that you know, we would be sensitive to that. But Lord, I, I know it's all of us. Our, our heart's desire is to be drawn closer to you, uh, to be used by you. Um, Lord, to understand uh, who you are in a more deeper way and um, what you would have us do uh, with our lives, God. And 
Um, you know, we just want more of you, Lord, and less of us. So we praise you and we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for traveling mercy's home tonight. And Lord, should you tarry, whatever is uh, on the schedule for tomorrow, that you would be an integral part of it. Uh, Lord, we love you and we thank you for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.